Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is January 17th, 2017. Wow, what a great number, January 17th, 2017. I'm super excited to have Rachel Bernstein on the show today. Rachel comes to us from, uh, I think it's, it's Sherman Oaks, Encino, California, over the hill in Los Angeles. And she has a practice. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, an MFT. And she is also known for a, to be a cult deprogrammer. And this is uh, how I met her. Um, I was introduced to Rachel about a year and a half ago through another friend. And uh, Rachel was recently uh, interviewed on 2020 in the episode where Leah Remini uh, was Pretty much the whole show is about Scientology. So without further delay, I'm going to bring Rachel on. Hi, Rachel. Good afternoon. You're live on Blog Talk Radio. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's so nice to have you again. So uh, I was really looking forward to having a chance to continue our great conversation from the first time. Yes, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. I think so. I was very excited to see you on the 2020 for the Scientology. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, they, it's great that all of these groups are getting coverage, and uh, I know that that show was specifically about Scientology, but I think, you know, it is certainly time to do what you're doing to broaden people's uh, awareness of mm. The mm-hmm. fact that this happens in different situations and in different kinds of groups and in different kinds of ways. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I had a, a, there's a man who's contacted me recently whose wife went in um, and in three months of going to AA meetings is completely brainwashed. Mm. And uh, uh. we were really interesting how we were talking and just how fast. You know, everybody thinks AA is so benign. Because that's a good word about AA. That every is mm-hmm. that it's bad, and it's just a nice support group. And so, how come? What is that component? What goes on there 
that somebody in three months could be so brainwashed um, that they think that they have to become, you know, the leader and the secretary and be of service uh, right away and that, you know, I'm maybe not going to be married to you now and now you can't. I mean, all kinds of weird, I'm not going to go into much more of it, but I was, I thought it just mm-hmm. kind of popped, you know, in again of how fast that happens and I think mm-hmm. people are vulnerable. They're vulnerable and they get a lot of love bombing. But I think there's something mm-hmm. to the readings in the language. But um, I'd like to start yeah. off with oh, a little bit. So we're talking to Rachel Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, and she's. I have just a little bit up on the site. Um, you can, you, Rachel. I'll just say a little more about you. Um, started a group, a deep programming group, uh, for people who are in cults or any toxic. Uh, control groups, I guess you would call it. Um, so just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into working with helping people, you know, deprogram. Uh, sure, sure, right. And, um, yes, I do have a support group for people who have been involved in cults, uh, even people who have been in kind of one-on-one cults and uh, relationships with highly manipulative people where the symptoms uh, and the style match cult programming and cult control. Um, <clears throat> well, it's an interesting story, but I'll keep it short. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I had a family member who, uh, when I was a teenager, who got caught up in uh, Scientology, and we could see the changes right away. Um, yeah. And the need to give over every penny in the bank and to uh, have this be your new family, your new community. And and there was a change in personality, a change in language, which you see. You know, suddenly she was describing right. herself and the world in different ways using other kind of language, the same language of the group, so that you have that unifying force of that, you know, we speak the same language, um, yeah. which is also in AA. Um, and so, um, it was just something that I grew up hearing about. And then when I was studying to become a therapist, that there were people in my program who really didn't know the first thing through no fault of their own, but, you know, um, they, they didn't know the first thing about, about cults and about how to help people if people were to come to them. Um, and some of them were even saying that they would refer people to groups as adjuncts to the therapy that I knew to be cultic. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I mean, yes, I'm going to be licensed to do general marriage, family, and child counseling, but I have to make people aware that I do know about this, and I want to let people know who have had these experiences or whose loved ones are caught up in these kinds of groups that I'm here and call me. Wow. Wow. Now, I remember the first time that we talked, and you had you had some new language for me, which I really liked. And so could you go over some of, and it could be, like you said, one-on-one, which is so true, that people can become mm-hmm. controlled by, which is the beginning of so domestic violence begins like that. Um, yes, which is absolutely. I really have seen a link to that myself after all the research and me talking to people. So for yourself, with your knowledge that you have now, what are the markers of a toxic group or a cult setting? What what are the you know, those red flags for you? Right. So I'll go through a couple of red flags, and then I'm sure as we talk, there will be other ones that come to light. Um, mm-hmm. 
but the the biggies are <clears throat> that you have to give unquestioning devotion to the ideas, the tenets, or to the leadership, that if you doubt it, uh, if you question it, they're seen uh, or you're seen as having something wrong with you. Mm. Um, and you have to give over your critical thinking where um, somehow that is also demonized. Your critical thinking is demonized where you um, are made to feel wrong for having doubts or questioning or only doing part of it because you don't really believe in the rest of it. Um, you're not allowed to have your own individual mind, individual self, and critical thought as part of the equation, or somehow the magic doesn't work. Um, and if wow. it doesn't work, this is the next part. If it doesn't work, it's your fault. Oh, Whatever it is. Okay. <laughs> That's so right? AA. So, <laughs> I'm writing it yeah, down. Yeah, you this weren't so trying good. hard enough. You weren't believing in it. You didn't bring enough people in. You weren't showing as much whatever devotion to whatever, being in service enough. You didn't, you know, open your heart up to a higher power. It's always you. Mm-hmm. And that's also how it is in abusive relationships. Right. So it's always your fault. I wouldn't have had to hit you if you had had dinner on the table when I told you to. It's yeah, there's, there's a really funny movie called uh, Dewey Cox Walk Hard. Have you ever seen uh-huh. it? Hysterical no. comedy. And there's a scene where um, John C. Riley is with, um, oh, what's her name? She's so funny. She was on SNL and left, and um, she's, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. But anyway, she has the dark uh, brown hair. And she was in Bridesmaids. But anyway, they're standing there, and she's got the kid, like, in her arm, and her hair's a mess, right? And he says to her, like, you've been sleeping with other women. He goes, you spilled my milk. There were times, there was, what are you talking about, you know? And, you're, <laughs> like, when he said it, I was, like, reminded, really, it's so ridiculous, but reminded of AA where, or fighting with a controlling person where you're talking about something really huge that they did, and then they say, mm-hmm. well, you, like, you, you took my scissor. From like the drawer, like why should not be upset? You know, and people right. are like, "Oh, you're so crazy!" Right. But it is um, so crazy. Oh, so then oh the other God. part is really, really ironic for a discussion about AA, but it is the the breeding, the cultivation of dependency. Mm. So you have within a cultic system a leader usually who has a has a narcissistic need to control, to have ultimate control, and to have control in perpetuity. You're never done. Uh, You don't graduate. You don't reach the next level, and then they say, hey, good luck to you. We wish you well. There's always the next level, the next thing. And when you're done with all the classes or you're done with all the groups, then you can be in the leadership position, and you're never done. Because um, they will tell you, you always need it. You always need it in order to be safe, in order to be able to live the life that you want to be able to live Um, or whatever it is that they know, I think, is going to really speak to you and is going to keep you there. Um, As a therapist, I'm certainly going to see that as a red flag in any environment because I I see it with some therapists I know who will cultivate more material and more need in their clients. And it's very disturbing when I see it 
um, so that that client still needs to keep coming back. And it's not even for financial reasons. It's because that therapist needs to be needed. You see it in in 12-step where you go through the steps, but you somehow need to keep um, coming back in order to have a good life because, in essence, you can't trust yourself on your own. And that's something that happens in cults, and that's something that I've that I've seen in AA. And then the other part is, I mean, there are a lot of examples, but the other part is that you get redefined. Mm. So within a cult, your value, your reason for being, your path is all defined by the leader, by the group, in, in a way where it works for them, not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing happens where you have to suddenly call yourself an alcoholic, whether or not that's the label you would ever give yourself. But in order to not seem like you're resistant um, or be labeled something else that's negative and in a shaming way in front of people, you go ahead and call yourself an alcoholic or call yourself a whatever-aholic. And then you get positive reinforcement for that, and that becomes your identity and the decisions you make are around that and... and, um, you're always kind of battling against that part of you that may or may not be part of you, but it it is a label that somehow you have to ascribe to in order to be part of this group and to be liked within the group and accepted. Um, and then mm-hmm. the last part is, you know, except you don't have this in one-on-one kinds of cultic situations, but you have it in larger groups. You have the social psychological piece, mm-hmm. which is the need to belong and the need to feel that you have a group of friends or group of people who understand, and you also are in service to them and you can't abandon them. If you're someone's sponsor, there's a whole kind of system of, of um, control and dependency and connection that may not be really with the people you would have normally connected with or who are necessarily even healthy to connect yeah. with. Um, but sometimes when people come to AA, they've, they've been living a life where they felt bad about themselves or isolated, and so they'll, they'll stay sometimes for much longer after they feel that they haven't been treated right just because they don't want to lose the community. Right, right. I think there is a huge, there's so much that you said there. I was jotting down notes. One of the things that I felt this huge relief was when I knew that I was going to leave, I had been a GSR, a general service rep, for two years, which links the groups, you know, back to New York, which they say doesn't happen. Like, you know, we're just spinning out there mm-hmm. in like our little own little sphere. And But then that, why did you create the GSR? But anyway, so it was GSR, and I created the safety, you know, stuff. And I knew I was going to go, you know, and I kind of planned my escape. I planned slowly going less and less, right? And so in January of 2011, I actually took another position on purpose. I became the treasurer yeah. intentionally mm-hmm. so that I would say, okay, I'm not going next week. And I would call mm-hmm. a woman that I knew and I said, I'm not coming. Um, can you just, you know, do my thing? So that I felt this power, I was taking my power back. Like instead of feeling guilty, like I had to go there, that mm-hmm. this new feeling of like, um, you know, I can't make it. Can you do it? And I, instead of going every week, I went every other week and then, it was really easy because I only went to one a week at that point once I was not a GSR. But the freedom, you could that's where you see how weird AA is. 
that, mm-hmm. that I felt mm-hmm. so different that when I didn't go, I was like, yeah, like, fuck you, man. Like, this is bullshit. And the level of the responsibility to go collect the quarters and dollars, divide them up into the little pie that A in New York makes, which it has no connection to, by the way, to the group, but it has the literature that connects you so you all will send your little quarters and pennies and dollars back to New York which you're not connected to. Mm, right? right. I mean, I'm getting into this because I'm really, they are responsible and they keep saying where we have no connection. But when I finally left, that every Wednesday as it rolled around, um, in the beginning, sometimes I would forget that I ever went. In the beginning, I remembered and I'd go, oh my God, this feels so wonderful. I don't have to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go to my meeting. I was compelled, in, you know, yeah. in, inwardly, yeah. you know, which is really really sick when you think about it. And there were times, too, where, you know, I interacted with people. I had gigs when I was playing music, and these groups of people would come, and one of my my drummers would say, like, who are these people, Monica? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He'd be like, who are these people? You know, now I want to ask you something. Um, So when I met you, uh, I know you had been working with some Scientology, and it's kind of expanded. I would like you to maybe talk about how much it's grown since Leah's book came out and then this thing, and are there more AA people like, or is it, you know, since I guess you joining or in my group, I've tried to tell people about you. Is it growing a little mm-hmm. bit more with with the with the uh, public that it is cultic AA? You know, I am. Yes, and also uh, no. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I think people. I mean, people have heard about your film. They've seen your film. They they are learning from you. They're learning from your show. They're learning from other people who are feeling brave enough to share their story. Um, and at the same time, it is still such a knee-jerk reaction for people to tell people to go to a 12-step or to go to AA as soon as they hear that they have any kind of issue with addiction or not even with addiction, because I think that a lot of people there don't actually have addictive issues. They have, um, (laughs) they were using a substance because of another issue. And that issue doesn't fully get addressed, rather just the thing that's called the addiction, um, which I think is sometimes really, truly missing the point. Um, But I I do... So, right. So, and I'm sure you saw that there, that there were people who would talk about how they started drinking because, right, because they had been through this or because they'd been through that. Um, Right. And so let's not talk about the drinking. Let's talk about this or that. Let's talk about the thing that was the trigger. Um, And let's help you with that. I mean, that's the therapeutic piece that I think gets lost in the shuffle when there's just that, you know, keen eye on, ooh, the addiction. Well, we know how to deal with that. Let's just talk about that. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think that it is such a um, kind of common thing that's woven into our system, um, our therapeutic system, our psychiatric system, our prison system, uh-huh. where our, our hospital system, where that's the thing that people are referred to. Um, I mentioned to you briefly that I had a, uh, a situation uh, in my own family with someone who was suddenly needing some care um, 
some psychiatric care. And so the whole family was told to go to AA meetings and to go um, to Al-Anon meetings. And, um, you know, they were saying, well, why, why? Well, you know, whoever, whoever is having an issue, um, even a teenager, they need to go into 12 steps. And if families are dealing with someone, a teenager who's suffering from different kinds of depression or anxiety, um, you're probably being codependent with that person. So you need to go to um, some sort of group for codependency, a 12-step for codependency. There wasn't even an asking, do we need this? But it was just part of the system. If you come to this clinic, if you come to this center, if you come to this residential placement, this is what's Mm -hmm. expected of the family. Um, and, you know, they wanted to say to these people, like, have you even talked to us once to know if that's actually a diagnosis worth sending us to a group for? But that's just part of um, what the people there, the caseworkers, are told to tell families as the, and that that is actually a necessary part of the treatment. So until we can really make a shift there, um, then yeah. I think it's still something that a lot of people are going to get into. And actually, while I was talking, I thought of another an, another way to define kind of the difference between a cultic group or a dangerous mm-hmm. group and a safe right. one. And, and one is exactly about safety, that within a cultic group, within an abusive relationship, and within 12-step, there isn't a safety net. Mm-hmm. So... Right. I mean, you you would know better than I, but as far as I know, there isn't like a governing body you can go to and say, these people did this to me or this. My sponsor is being verbally abusive um, or cornering me and Mm -hmm. making me feel intimidated and and that you can then be protected within a cultic system. There's no system of checks and balances. There's no governing body. There's no ethics committee. Um, There's no one to talk to. Right, which is really, you know, it's as as big as AA is. Like when I started, I didn't think of it as a huge American institution, million-dollar nonprofit, that it's outrageous when, you know, people have called, people whose children have been murdered by, um, you know, uh, criminals. uh, And when I mean criminals, it's violent criminals and sex offender criminals that these people's children were raped or were murdered by these criminals, AA in New York has actually said to the parents, um, we don't, you know, we don't have anything to say about that. They didn't say, oh my gosh, I'm so like, sorry this happened. Tell me what happened. We'll send out, uh, you know, somebody to your area to talk to the group or, um, you know, have the delegate call us or, you know, it, it was always exactly what you started with, which was what kind of what was your part in it? Can you imagine like, um, or, and they, I just went to this other outrageous thought that that's done a lot is about forgiving sick people. Mm. Like they did the, mm-hmm. you know, people who were uh, abusive parents or, you know, children who, um, adults who had bad things happen to them when they were children. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this didn't happen to me, but um, I've heard a lot in Los Angeles. There was a lot of this uh, said to people, which is, you know, really, really reharming. It's, it's just not reharming. It's like just harming people. Like, it's not true. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that uh, people are. I think when I met you, I went like blasting about you, my blog, and in the Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Facebook has really grown. 
and I appreciate yeah. that you're in that group. Um, it's interesting. We had, you know, sometimes we get a troll in that deprogramming group, and they want to, like, you know, talk about how nice AA was. And I was like, that's great. You know, that's not great. It's not what this group is. It's not about – they're so used to in AA – and the funny thing about that, it's, it's not true in AA that you can say both sides. Like, you can't even have a discussion. Like, if I went into AA and said, you know, look, guys, like, when people, it does, but it's not working for people here, why don't you, instead of saying you're not doing it right, why don't you say, you know, I'm really sorry, this looks like it's not working, you've been in and out of AA for 30 years, you can't stay sober, you're getting worse and worse, you, you know, you're talking about killing yourself. Did you know that there's a couple medications that you could try, that you could go to a smart recovery in moderation or harm reduction meeting or um, maybe just see a one-on-one therapist? Like, they don't do that. Like, mm. and, you know, and, and that that we have three medications, naltrexon, Vivitrol, and Camprol for cravings. One is for cravings, the other two you use when you drink to, you know, to learn how to moderate. Works really high. Claudia Christian made a film called One Little Pill. But I, I think back to our society that it's entrenched everywhere that we do need to speak, whether it's me or Claudia in front of therapists, because AA has been speaking. I mean, I have a therapist who's like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years older than me, and I sat with her 25 years ago and did, you know, child abuse work. And she said, Monica, when I got out of school, that's what they said. Like if somebody has an alcohol or a drug issue problem, you have to say, you know, you should go to AA and get sober first, and when you have a year, then we'll work with you. They were mm-hmm. just flatly all told that. So I think that, um, you know, yeah. the good news is I was I was contacted recently by the University of North Carolina, and they want to show my film to a whole group of health, like uh, some kind of health professionals or something. This is good. Nice. Yeah. This oh, is what, that's uh, really excellent. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, it's the first one. And then, you know, I also interviewed the head of the, the new president of SMART, and I said, you know, you need to come out here Cedars in UCLA, if you go, if you lock yourself up and you say, I, I, I need to come in here, I'm going to kill myself, they're going to send you to a freaking AA meeting while you're staying there. You know that? Mm. In LA. No. No, uh-huh. I mean, that's so ridiculous. All right. Right. Wow. And I know that wow. from, I, I know one of my, one of my sons fr- had a friend, a female friend who did that with UCLA, and then uh, there's a woman, she's a writer talked about her mm-hmm. piece and you know we had lunch and she told me her story with cedars she was like what wow you go to this wow. AA meeting and actually the worst people that get involved who do the proselytizing inside those groups are the pacific group and the mm-hmm. pacific group is a very large absolutely oh. occult uh, version of alcoholics anonymous run by clancy um a guy in his um i don't know how old he is now 70, 70s or 80s but mm-hmm. horrible group yeah. And um, you have famous people in that group, Anthony Hopkins or whoever, and Jamie Lee Curtis. His people, uh, it's, it's nuts. It, this is worse than Scientology. But I think that the undoing, what Leah's doing, is going to help with the undoing of AA. Right. So to answer your question about shows like hers, I mean, she's very heavy hitting, which is wonderful. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. was about 20 years before I could actually – um, whenever giving a talk or an interview, that I could actually say that Scientology was a cult. I wasn't allowed for legal reasons. I was told by them that they would go after my license again, because that's what wow. they do with anyone doing this work. If I said that, um, mm. one way I was able to get around it was to be able to say 
my clients who are former Scientologists call it a cult. They did research on what a cult is, and they said, yep, <laughs> pretty much, uh, or exactly. And so I could quote them saying that they thought it was a cult, but I wasn't allowed to say it. So the fact that there can be shows now um, that are so honest about what really is happening behind the scenes and are also just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, even my interview as it always is with television. I mean, they, you know, they were in my office for an hour and a half and I was on for what, like a minute and a half. Um, and, but that just kind of lets you know, and, and it, I think the public is probably aware that there are many more stories um, and wow. that they only have a certain amount of time to share them. There are many stories in a lot of different groups. There are many stories of people now who are becoming more aware of being in relationships with narcissists or, and, and psychopaths and what that does to you. And they're sharing their stories on Facebook and, you know, and hopefully now the media will cover that more. And now with AA, I think it's amazing to be able to pull the curtain back um, uh-huh. and to be able to, to see what's happening behind the scenes and to give people a chance to really see that, not because people need to go out, you know, uh, against these groups with any kind of vengeance. It's more to do education and prevention. We Mm -hmm. want you to be able to make a fully educated decision about what you're getting involved in or what your hospital told you you need to go participate in because they don't know if they're telling you that the only option you have is AA. They just don't know. Um, and yeah. they're too busy, I think, to do their research. Um, I'm listening, we're talking to Rachel Bernstein, and Rachel is a marriage and family therapist, and she is a culty programmer. She has a, a group, and I believe that she meets one-on-one, and so that's who we're talking to. She yeah. has a website, uh, and her, uh, which is her name, rachelbernsteintherapy.com. You can find this information on um, my Blog Talk Radio page. Um, yeah, I... I Oh, um, what's it? Is it Narcanon a part of Scientology? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. So it's I think it's gone, mm-hmm. but right right between a post that Michelle, who introduced me to you and me, there was a Narcanon ad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's really funny. I had that once on a a YouTube video that I made that was like, you know, Cults 101, and I guess YouTube put a Scientology ad (laughs) on it. I thought, well, that's actually hilarious. Right, Uh, right. But, yeah. Yeah, Narcanon is their group, um, and they also have a lot of other pseudo-scientific treatments like their um, purification rundown with niacin pills and and sweating in uh, sauna for hours on end till some people have really had to be rushed to the hospital. Um, and, wow. you know, there are people who have no business um, telling people how to treat whatever it is that they're going through, um, how to treat their bodies and what to ingest and what to endure. Um, and again, it's back to what we were talking about, that if anyone gets sick through any of these treatments, it's because they didn't do it right or they weren't feeling it in their heart or they didn't clear their whatever's first or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so they don't have to take responsibility for any of it, um, you know, which I is thought, really I thought that it unconscionable. Was, oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, the, the 2020 that you were in, um, 
was really good. You know, I have my gripes with them because they were supposed to have done one on AA, you know, and right. the film. I would right. be, and then, you know, it went away to have a show about Elizabeth Vargas's, you know, going into treatment again or whatever she was doing. But um, that I was very happy that they, no, I think they did a thing on Chris Batham, who they exposed, who had all the sober living. Um, and all the mm. that was really good, and he got arrested by the FBI. Very, very good show. But the show that they did with you, I thought was fantastic. Very hard hitting, um, and very well. I mean, that poor young guy. I could not. But Kevin oh, came yeah. in, my husband, he, like to watch it. He recorded it, and we were like, his family. The things his family said about him. Mm-hmm. You know, that they are really. Uh, oh yeah, he's just. It was like wow, and uh, it, it is a really. Um, but I think that they are getting less power because people are not afraid to expose them now. And I, people we used to be afraid yeah. even, I think, to get on the Internet. And like that w- woman said who was in the group when I came over that time, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of time with AA. You know, she said, what, has she been at it for 15 years talking about it? Mm-hmm. And um, the one yeah. lady who uh, who was there in the group when I came uh I think it's very validating to when I did come the few times that I did, Rachel, to hear the other types of cults. Like uh, maybe if you could talk about that, there's yoga cults and um, kind of new agey. Um, you know what I mean? Some of these other things yeah. like Scientology and AA. You want to talk a little bit about some of that? Uh, sure. Thank you. I think that's a great subject because um, people will be looking for the obvious. They'll be looking for a Dianetic center. As a cult, they'll be looking for pe- people in, you know, orange robe, robes in the airport as being from a cult. But they won't know to look in uh, a variety of different areas because it's not the clothing and it's not the names and it's not even the belief system that makes something a cult. It's the nature of the relationship between the leader and the followers. Um, so it can come in any form. And so you have yoga cults. You have some that are advertising all over the place and people go um, and take classes. And if they think that you're someone who's really, um, who really has the potential to be a devotee, they'll, you know, stick their talents into you. And then you don't realize until you move up the ranks that the leader believes he's the Messiah and you must God. And so, you know, um, you always want to be at, you want to do your research. So it can come in the form of a yoga cult. It can come in the form of any kind of Bible-based cult or Hindu, Buddhist, a couple of Jewish cults, unfortunately for me to have to say. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, there are also some that are um, large group awareness trainings, you know, the the weekend seminars where you get in touch with, you know, the part of you that feels like a victim or the blah, 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 whatever. Uh, and you sit around t- telling each other what you want to have written on your tombstones as a way to feel like you're bonded to the people around you, but it's sort of forced um, closeness, and, and it's in, there's nothing authentic about it. It's an exercise so that you feel these are people who you've shared your deepest, darkest things with in an immediate way. Um, huh. and, and then also there are groups that are, um, you know, kind of interesting because they don't quite fit any kind of model of a cult and they start out kind of okay, but the leader starts to get kind of drunk with his or her power. Um, I had that with a client who got involved with um, 
someone who she went to for palm reading. And uh-huh. this woman started getting more and more clients, and she realized that she could get a lot of money out of people if she could then start convincing them that something was tremendously wrong with them and they uh-huh. needed to give her more money to cleanse themselves. And if that didn't work, something is wrong with pick the family member who you just revealed you feel closest to and most protective of. Well, something uh-huh. is wrong with them. I can sense it. And the only uh-huh. way to keep them alive is to give this the following cash to me. Um, and so, you know, I've had people get sucked in to these um, psychic, quote-unquote, healers just by going into storefronts along wherever, Sunset, Ventura. So it can happen anywhere. You just need to know what to watch out for. Yeah, um, there was somebody on the news um, yeah. just like the other night, and I don't watch the news uh, every night. Uh, they, it was about a woman. She wouldn't show her face, and I think it was on NBC or I can't remember. But um, she went to like you know walked into a place in Topanga, or drove in a place that's out in Woodland Hills, and um, started seeing her, and then became it's like I guess like swindled like a hundred grand from her, like little by little. Uh, what is it? Um, the word our tribe. Like I went up to. Um, uh, I went actually to Esalen to take a class with Cheryl Strait, who mm-hmm. wrote Wild, right? And there were like three other, um, four other teachers. Um, I'm sure one of them is in a 12-step group by the way he talked. I mean, I could tell by the language. And maybe mm-hmm. possibly two of out of five, right? Cheryl isn't. But she's kind of unaware of really what it is. You know, there's people who think they understand when they know somebody in it. But... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the program, it was like there were you know twelve step meetings, just like to get together with your tribe. And I was like, you really like you can't get away for like five and a half days for a writing retreat and not go to a meeting. It was really, but right. it, even the wording, like the wording, was like our tribe. I was like, okay, um, uh, right. So yeah, these you know, are it, these are our people. This is your family. You are responsible yeah, there are for people. each other, and you have to show up. Mm-hmm. They like call them normies and stuff. Um, uh, so, how have things grown since we uh, first met with your group? With uh, uh, you know anything that's I I was hoping you would get a show yourself or write a book or <laughs> is there anything on the front? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm happy. At, yeah, I mean you know people come to me all the time asking to be on a show or if I can be on a show and you know sometimes. It, I am interested, and sometimes it it just turns into something more sensationalistic that than I'm comfortable with, um, yeah. and so I have to say no to it uh, because they really just want to go after like the really sexy stories or the sex stories, you know, because that's going to mm. make good television, but that's not necessarily what's most important to talk about. Um, even though sex is used and abused in a lot of these groups, as you well know. Um, right. In terms of um, my group, um, yeah, it is for former cult members. You know, as I as I mentioned, also people who had been involved in these kinds of controlling relationships. And there are some parents in there who have loved ones who are involved in groups, and they want to know how to address it with them in ways that would work and, and the ways that would not work. Um, so that's something, because I've been doing this for 25 years, I have a couple notes on that uh, yeah. and how to not fall into the traps of, you know, that are set by the 
cult and the cult leaders and, and not drive your loved ones farther into the group. Um, but it is hard actually to get um, some of the former Scientologists who really need it into a support group or in, into seeing me privately even into a therapy office because they've been made to feel so fearful of uh, any kind of therapy, any kind of therapist that we're going to hold them against their will. I mean, this is all a way for Scientology just to make sure that they are the only ones who can provide help, at least in their members' eyes. Um, So the the easiest way to cause people to avoid something is to make them fearful of it. Um, And it really is quite a crime that they've taken that possibility away from a lot of people who really, really need it. We're talking to Rachel Bernstein. She is a marriage and family therapist and a cult deprogramming expert. Uh, yeah, I, I think that when I read her book, which was last year, Leah's book, it, I was uh, I was like super shocked. Like I, I knew that they were crazy and they, they believed like some of the weird stuff. And that L, I, I saw The Master, which certainly was about Scientology and about L. Ron Hubbard, I think. Um, and they had to do it so secretly, right? You know, it's like you couldn't mm-hmm. even call it. Like the master was very interesting. But did you see that movie? I did. In fact, I saw it with three former high-level Scientologists, and it was fascinating to watch it with them. Um, wow. Because they could, yeah. It was funny because we're sitting there and they're saying, oh, yeah, that reminds me of when this happened. And, yeah, so-and-so was just like that. And they, you know, and they were sitting just like that. But, you know, it was it was so perfect. It was such a perfect portrayal in their minds that the director got so many of the details really right. Right, right. I, th- I think so. And I think that after, you know, her, th- that happening right and then the show, um, coming out, what is it, you know, like maybe eight months later, that there mm-hmm. is, people are not af- as afraid. And um, I, I hope maybe the, you know, the IRS or the FBI can be, I mean, because maybe what I want to say is that the level of stuff that's actually criminal that's going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is found to be really shocking. And people would also be shocked about AA, that stuff that's criminal, stuff with children, stuff with, um, teenagers, underage, minors, you know, people who, it, it was just, anyway, it's really intense, and I'm I'm really glad that uh, I met Michelle, who then introduced me to you. Oh, here's the other thing I want to say. When we, when Kevin and I came to your group, the thing mm-hmm. that I liked, I mean, I thought it was fascinating to hear, you know, to sit there with ex-Scientologists and a couple of other, you know, other kind of cults, um, but to watch their face as we talked about AA, and I, they were so shocked, and I thought that was very empowering. Both Kevin and I felt really um, like we were educating. We are educating people who think it's benign, and it's this lovely support group. And they're like, why? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait a second. You're talking about AA? We're like, yeah, we're talking about AA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I know. It's like you said, yeah, we're talking about Santa Claus. And he's dead. You know, like Bill Wilson is dead, and so is you know Elron Hubbard. But but the, I mean, thank God Scientology is not. Although I have heard that there are DA, like I've heard that there's people in downtown Los Angeles in politics that are Scientologists. Maybe they've stepped away as quietly backwards. They've kind of snuck out of Scientology. But 
the AA thing is entrenched with judges in AA, and lots of lawyers join because they were forced because they were all heavy drinkers, and pilots get extorted, and nurses get going, and doctors, and that's been happening for 40 years since the 70s. Like, that's crazy, right? And then you talk yeah. to a like, really educated, like regular AA member, and they're going, oh, you know, they can't, you can't be forced to AA. Well, they all know you can because the DUI people get forced there. But most of them, including myself, had no idea that you have a lot of really high-level professionals in the United States that have been extorted, forced against their will to join that stupid 1930s-ass religious-type, cult-like-ish, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, it's not even really a program, you know. And then rehab, so rehab's like even the A&E show intervention. It's like one big mm-hmm. freaking commercial for Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step. Yeah, right, right. And so I think part of what happens in shows like that is, you know, they send people off to these um, 12-step rehabs, and they will sometimes say, oh, they got their life back together, or they'll sometimes say, oh, this person left. And what I've always wanted to hear is why. Maybe it's because that wasn't the issue. Maybe it's because of the horrific family who we just met, who they came from, um, and that, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever was really a symptom of another problem, but it wasn't the problem. Um, mm-hmm. And so why didn't we deal with it that way, you know? So, um I, in terms of also, you know, going back to a question that I only partially answered, I apologize. I realize now about Scientology, their numbers are dwindling. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really good to share that because the more people get educated, even though it takes an, an inordinate amount of um, uh, work and repetition. Um, yeah. and And right, I mean, still as much as you've told your story, and you're sharing information, there's still so many people who are going to be shocked by this information because they've never heard it before. So it takes a very long time to kind of change the course of people's really, people's education on this that's been set and been set in stone. And so, I, you know, I, I value all of your efforts because it does take that much effort. Um, but yes, Scientology's numbers are dwindling. In fact, they've They've had to get pretty serious about Photoshop um, when they are uh, opening up a new center. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you can see, right, they have about 25, 30 people actually in attendance, but they said thousands of people showed up, whatever, and then you see the same hat on 40 people, you know. Um, so, <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy because that's really through the efforts of people who are doing this, the groundswell, yeah. right, of people who yeah. are saying enough is enough. Um, right, right. And we're willing mm-hmm. to take the risk of, you know, of being the mouthpiece, of being out there and, and, and beating our, our drum, you know. Um, and, yeah, I would love to write a book. I'd love to have the time, but I also don't know what, what angle to take and what to talk about, but I have 25 years of stories and so much that I've learned from my clients um, and so much I've learned from cults because they reveal themselves about how they operate and, and the techniques they use and right. their systems of, you know, manipulation that, you know, I, I have a lot I could write about, so I just need a book deal. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, then I can I get started. You, 
You do. I mean, I, well, I think as it evolves, like because uh, of the work of the, you know, the women that I met at that group, one who's been talking like Tony, o- is it Tony Ortega is his name? Who's been talking and mm-hmm. trying to expose Scientology. Uh-huh. He wrote a book and then mm-hmm. you have, is it going clear? Um, and then you have Alex Gibney's film, which was, you know, titled after that book, Going Clear. They went after him, mm-hmm. like they took out a full-page ad in the New York Times. So what? Then we move along. Leah comes out and says, I'm leaving. She writes a book. And then the A&E show, and now she's in 2020, does a show. There is a big groundswell now with exposing Scientology for sure. But, the, you know, there's mm-hmm. a couple of, well, not a couple. There's actually quite a few professionals, people that are, uh, from therapists to whatever in the deprogramming group who said to me, you know, maybe we should write uh, some kind of literature. Like people, some people come in and say, how do you do it? Mm. Like how how mm-hmm. do you deprogram? And, you know, I think that there was, there's a book that a guy wrote, You've Been Lied To, um, The Truth mm-hmm. About uh, Hank Hayes. I've met him. I've sat with him many times in Atheism and was in AA uh, 17 years left and was forced. But, you know, it's like I took parcels of, of, from different people, but one of the things that is the biggest is their loaded language and stop using it. And mm-hmm. um, that, that is a key to uh, – and filling your mind with new things like reading um, books about addiction recovery that, have n- that are the opposite, you know, uh, of mm-hmm. AA – very important that you read uh, something on smart recovery or moderation, even if you're maybe not going to go for moderation, but that you or go sit in a meeting and just listen to the, how they talk, how they think someone, you know, um, you know, stops abusing um, a drug or alcohol or how. Anyway, all of it. There's there's just so much you can um, there's you can do to deprogram, and I think people that just leave. Like I have some people who contacted me after five years are really screwed up in the head. And they're like, you know, I'm not really, I need, and it's because, yeah, we, there, there is some stuff that I've certainly done because I made a movie because I did this radio show, like, you know, um, but I, I just really, I, I do think that there's a book that you could, you know, certainly write, and that people, you have not just people leaving Scientology, it was what I was going for, and then I lost where I was headed, Rachel, but (laughs) you have a lot of people leaving AA, like there's, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, tens of hundreds of thousands of people watch the movie already on Amazon. Yeah. A huge amount of people, a quarter of a million people, and, you know, um, and I have no PR. I have no marketing person and so imagine if when i do or finally you know i'm you know we begin it but i think that you know what i would love to do it depends on how often we can if you were on once a month you know we and Mm -hmm. we could take calls maybe the next time i didn't want to take any calls this time i just wanted to catch up with you and you know see what's you know how things were going with you and so with that just talk about like anything you want like what's the next thing on the you know, the horizon with you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I do. I, I, I do really want to write a book. There's been a, a lot of uh, requests for that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I have uh, files and files and files of, you know, just filled with information that I've been collecting over the years um, uh, where I title it for my book, for my book. <laughs> um, yeah. and it's going to be, you know, if I really put it all together, it's going to be many books. Um, 
but yeah, I have to put pen to paper and, you know, it's a little hard to find the time and the funds to do that because a lot of the people I work with um, are, you know, they are needing lower pay, lower fees for me because uh, they've been fleeced uh, or they're left with nothing. Um, so I, I, I do need a book deal before I can do it. But at the same time, um there is going to be a conference coming up that I'm helping to run. Um, it's uh, in connection with the International Cultic Studies Association. Um, and we're going to be having a conference in L.A. at the Center for Inquiry in April. Um, oh, really? And I can send you some information about that. The, the advertisement hasn't yet been put together, but so this is... This is uh, soon to be hot off the press, and um, yeah. I'll send you the information as soon as I have it so you can let your listeners know about it. Um, and it will be with former cult members talking and people being able to share their experiences and learning about how it's done and how mind control works and how to undo it uh, and connecting with each other uh, on, on this side of the fence, you know, people who have been through the experience. Um, right. And so I think it'll be two, for two days, and uh, it should be great. So that's something that's going to be happening uh, pretty soon. And then mm-hmm. um, hoping to expand the support group in my office, and I'm always available to see people privately. And and also I'm available if people just want to call and say, you know what, the following things happened to me, um, and is this usual? Is this problematic? Is this something I should not have to accept? Um, and just check it out. And then we can go from there. Because sometimes people put it on themselves so often that they don't go for help because they really do believe that they're the ones who failed. They're the ones who disappointed their group, their life, their their family. Um, and they don't feel deserving of getting help. And they don't feel kind of ready, I think, sometimes to look at the fact that they were snowed or they were actually abused or they were kept, most importantly, they were kept from being able to protect themselves, Um, which happens time and time again in in groups like this, where when you want to say something in your defense or you want to speak up, you're really made to feel like that would just not be cool. You can't do that here. and it's against the program for you to do it. Right. How um, often do you have the groups? They are once a week. Night? Um, a week. Uh-huh. Yeah, on Thursday Thursday evening. It's a it's a closed group, meaning that people just can't stop in because I was having Scientologists show up. <laughs> so uh-huh. that's not good. Um, <laughs> Did you really? And, uh, <laughs> that never worked that well. So um, I just want people to contact me first. And uh, we can run over why they want to be there and if it's kosher, a uh, kosher reason. And then, um, yeah, I would love to have people participate. And if we run out of space, I'm happy to start a second group. I think I'm the only one in L.A. Who's, who is a licensed professional who is doing these groups. As far as I know, if someone knows of other ones, please, you know, let us know. Um, but that's why I want to make myself as available as possible. Hmm. I wonder if there were a need, or you don't see it yet, of people just all focused of ex-steppers who, like, really feel like some yeah. need to talk about it. Have you gotten enough calls or not really enough here in L.A.? I, I've i gotten a handful of calls 
within the last couple of years, some people who were in um, residential treatment centers where it was 12-step based and they felt really manipulated, really abused. Uh-huh. And, um, and again, they were told that they were the ones who were being difficult and going against the program and being resistant. Um, so there was no recourse. And, um, and other people who um, were involved in 12-step with having sponsors who wound up being um, uh, triggers for them because they were verbally or emotionally controlling or abusive, and yeah. um, they had a, uh, an impossible time getting away from them. Um, and again, there was, no, there was no one for them to talk, so they really felt at the mercy of the people there. And that's a horrible feeling, especially after someone has been through a situation where they have felt vulnerable in the past. Um, and also being told, especially if, if it's court-mandated and they have to go. So they really felt backed into a corner emotionally. Um, and others who felt like they had to lie while they were there and kind of cheat the system. They didn't believe in a higher power or they didn't want to do all the steps or they weren't into forgiveness. They weren't ready. They were so pissed off and they wanted to be pissed off. You right. know, going back to your point of, you know, having to forgive, I think that has great value, and I also think for some people it's one of the worst things. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people who are raised to be forgiving, accommodating, let things mm-hmm. roll off their back, and mm-hmm. it, while it makes you an easygoing person in the world, it also makes you unfortunately able to be abused and taken advantage of mm-hmm. without you standing up for yourself, without you saying anything. So. Sometimes people need to hang on to their anger so they can remember what happened to them because they forgive too easily and they forget too easily or they put it on themselves. It actually helps for them to actually make a list of the things that people have done to them and check it twice, check it three times. Wow, that's a check really, it weekly. Oh, my God, that's a really great, great point. And I, I was thinking about like some of the early part of what you just began to say. Can you imagine what it's like for a pilot or a nurse, or a doctor who didn't get into any trouble, who finds themselves forced to go there on top of, or someone going into a psych ward and forced to go to AA meetings against their will. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, when I was watching Leah talk on the last one. I said, oh, she's in for a shock. I mean, she saw my movie. That, okay, you get this kid finally real help, but if he goes to Cedars, he's going to be fucking sent to an AA meeting. But see, Leah knows mm-hmm. about what really goes on in AA because she did watch my film. And I think that it's a really good beginning. But we are have a minute left. I want to thank you, Rachel. It's Rachel Bernstein, everybody. You can go to rachelbernsteintherapy.com. She has a group, a deprogramming group. You can see her one-on-one. Or you could, like she said, just call her and say, hey, this is what's going on. Is this... You know, is this a, a toxic group, a cult, or whatever? Um, it has been fabulous talking to you again, and uh, I want to thank you so much. And we'll have you on again soon, Rachel. Wonderful! It was a total treat. Always nice to talk to you, Monica. Okay, we'll talk again soon. You have a great evening. Great. Okay. All right. Take thanks. Care. Bye. Bye.